episode 48, Patrick and Cyprian speak with returning guest Bob Koek, chief scientist at Quantinium. Among other topics, the team discuss modern paths into quantum, the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physics, and the possibility of a quantum winter. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how you doing? Hi, Patrick. I'm doing well, and I'm very excited about today's episode on Entangled Things. Excellent. So am I. We're, we're joined by Bob. Bob, can you introduce yourself again, since you've been here before, uh, to our audience? Okay, yes. Hi. Hi again. So, so I'm Bob. I'm a currently chief scientist at Quantinium, which, uh, if you don't know yet, that's the merger of Cambridge Quantum and the part of Honeywell, which was actually doing quantum system, uh, quantum computing, which were actually building quantum computers. So they kind of split off from Honeywell, merged with Cambridge Quantum, and then we became Quantinium. Uh, I'm based in Oxford. I'm still based in Oxford. We've got our own offices. I've got, I've got a team here, a sub-team of Quantinium here, specifically in Oxford, which mainly focuses on quantum AI, including quantum NLP, and also the general theory of compositional systems. And uh, before that, I was just a few minutes down the road at Oxford University in the Department of Computer Science, where I had a big group. I was a, and that's relevant to this, this episode. I was there, professor of quantum foundations and logics and structures. Wow. Wow. Well, we, we talked to you before, and, and you had an impressive resume then. You still have an impressive resume. Um, so what brings you to our neck of the woods? You, there's something you wanted to talk about. What, what are we talking about today? So yeah, a few weeks ago, like uh, I published uh, a Medium blog, and this was in a way a response to this year's Nobel Prize and how how I conceive this and how this fitted in a broader perspective, uh, both in general and also in the context of what I've done in the past and what I'm doing now. And uh, this this has gotten a lot of like feedback and traction and all that and. Uh, Quite a few people have interviewed about that. So, so that, that's basically what I want to talk about today. There's a lot to be said there, especially to an audience of quantum computing who may not be familiar to how we actually got to this point where we, where we are now. The history. Because it was not an obvious road. It was not an obvious road for anybody involved, Very including me. <laughs> well, and you've been on the road for a while, so uh, you, know, you know how some of the turns were made. Um, it was very... It was very um, exciting that the quantum uh, entanglement experimentation is, was part of the, the Nobel Prizes this year. Uh, that's inspirational to everybody who's working in the field, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, but one of the things one should kind of note is that at the time when some of these things were done, definitely when Clauser was doing these things, and I mean, I knew Zeilinger for a very long time, going back in the 90s and all that, they didn't have quantum computing in mind at all. So this wasn't per se, a Nobel Prize for quantum computing, if you look at when these things were done. This was a Nobel Prize in what's called quantum foundations. So this is the field where you really want to understand uh, the very heart of quantum mechanics. And uh, the, pe the people who initially were most involved in that, I would say, was Einstein and von Neumann himself, who built the quantum mechanical formalism, and also Schrodinger very much. So I would say those are the three major names, I would say, who have been pushing for the field of quantum foundations early on. So they're very big names, of course. They're mm -hmm. very big names, of yeah. course. They're the fathers of quantum mechanics. They, 
itself. Uh, and, and what is kind of surprising there is that when I was doing my PhD in the 90s, which I did in quantum foundations, by the way, not in quantum computing or anything like that. Makes sense. Foundations, we can go in on details or so or anything like that. Uh, basically, after my PhD, I was unemployed. Because what I was unaware about is that in that particular field at the time, it was not hard to get a position after a PhD. There wasn't a single one. Oh, wow. In the world, <laughs> pretty you? much. With maybe one or two or three exceptions, which was specifically in Vienna with Zeilinger himself. That was kind of the only oh, place wow. where you could, could go for anything like that. But typically, these were his own students who then took up these positions. So that's how bad it was at the time. So it's kind of surprising if you look now at the con contrast. With, okay, there's a Nobel Prize given uh, to specifically this field. And how bad the situation was in nine. I mean, the field existed, but it was mainly restricted to philosophy departments. Mm. So you either or a few... There were a few like old crackpots and stuff like that also doing these things of people considered as crackpots, but it was, it was, it was not at all how we conceive the field of quantum nowadays at all. And so a lot of people since then have worked hard to actually get the, the area reinstated uh, to what it is because so many things we are now doing in quantum computing didn't emerge directly in quantum computing, but actually emerged out of what some people were doing in quantum foundations. Mm. I can give a, little, a few examples now. I know you're very much in quantum crypto. Mm -hmm. So if you look, for example, at Arthur Eckert's paper, it's a paper about bell inequalities, his first paper in quantum crypto. It's exactly about what his Nobel Prize was about, quant exploiting quantum non-locality. The discussion started by Einstein, uh, the debate about whether the world is quantum non-local or not. That's what actually fed in in, in, in Eckert's uh, seminal paper on quantum cryptography in the mid-90s. If you look like where David Deutsch got his inspiration to come up with uh, his first algorithm, it was the many world interpretations of quantum mechanics. Hmm. Said, because he believed in that. He believed in that. And he said, if there are many worlds, maybe we can exploit all these worlds to do computations in each one of them at the same time. That was his thinking. So that's how, from, from this foundational thinking, suddenly like uh, we, we got quantum algorithms, the first quantum algorithms. And there's many more of these examples of things we now do in quantum computing, which actually came out of foundational thinking about the very heart of quantum mechanics. Rightly or wrongly, rightly or wrongly, Einstein was against non-locality. I mean, I don't know where everybody believes that there are many worlds. And, and, but it doesn't matter. The, the, new, the deep thinking has actually helped people to come up with these new paradigms, and we shouldn't forget that. We importantly, we shouldn't forget that if you want to keep this field going the way it's going. So, so that's an important message. Because once things become a little bit closer to practical technology, people tend to forget this like deep thinking and they're basically more busy with like, okay, here's a little problem, let's solve it. Here's a little problem, let's solve it. Here's a little problem, let's solve yeah. it. Yeah, so hard times breed hard individuals and easy times breed weak individuals. And so it sounds like the winter of quantum foundations helped breed some really strong minds. Well, I mean, it, it, it did part of that, but also it destroyed an incredible amount of uh, academic careers of very bright people because mm -hmm. it's, it's historically and, and still now uh, an area which has attracted some of the most creative minds. Mm -hmm. 
because it's a new world which we don't understand and then that's that attracts a certain kind of persons adventurous creative minds yeah. and uh, lots of my friends in the 19s in the 1990s who basically I knew uh, we did PhDs all together most of them are all called academically <laughs> many of them many of them much smarter than me so there's only a few survivors and the, and the way I survived was by actually being creative creative in my survivor and a hell of a lot of luck a hell of a lot of that's money. always the case isn't it yeah uh, yeah but i mean i mean it's not necessary today like it's quite quite straightforward to get a career in quantum computing if you i mean it's a completely different world but so basically what i had to do at the time after i was unemployed i had to reinvent myself mm. so i reinvented myself as a mathematician with a focus on logic and category theory and that's just because uh, that was kind of around and and then I, then I had an amazing stroke of luck that that the, the political constellation in Belgium where I was and in terms of our funding was awarded uh, uh, in a small country. It's always depending on who is in the committee or not. And, and I was very lucky because there was a category theoretician in the committee and he saw, oh, there's a physicist who's now going to category theory. Let's support the person. So that's kind of good. And then three years later, when when the committee had the, the committee configuration had changed, I was gone again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the winds the winds of politics sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so it was very. But then I had, I mean, then I had again another stroke of luck that that there were people in a computer science, straight computer science, who had been looking on a new kind of logic, which was called linear logic, linear logic. And uh, it became a big thing in computer science. And they actually had discovered, and this is again deep science, that the natural models for this logic were Hilbert spaces. So exactly what people use for quantum. So some of the top computer science there, they were wondering whether this new logic had actually had anything to do with quantum. Hmm. And so out of the blue, I got an offer for a postdoc from Oxford, computer science. I had nothing to do with computer science at the time. And so that's how I actually ended up becoming an Oxford professor because I stayed there 20 years. Oh, wow. No, it, it, so, but you see, it, it was an, it, it was a lot of sort of detours, and then when I was initially at Oxford, I should say this is important, uh, which is important. Uh, we couldn't, I couldn't still say I was doing quantum foundations, although I was doing it. I we sort of were hiding it, and I was I told this to my students: don't say you're doing foundational quantum; <laughs> say you're doing high level quantum programming. <laughs> Oh, spin, you know, so marketing. This, this, this is a very interesting kind of kind of discussion. Well, and then one of the things that we we debated with Patrick in uh, the last few weeks, we are starting to hear some voices that are kind of predicting a quantum winter that is is about to come, and some of them are saying they are not enough algorithms at this point. Some of them are saying like, look. Uh, we still don't have like like working computers with a large enough number of qubits and 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 so forth. Like they essentially say that the whole thing around quantum computing is overhyped at this point. I would really like to 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 get your points on on how do you see where we are today and, with quantum and they're computing. and they're hyping that idea quite a lot. <laughs> that there's too much hype. <laughs> well, yeah, that, I want to say that. Okay, okay, let, that, that's another dimension to it because. Um, uh, let, let let me um, say a few things. Like, just first, I mean, I mean, hyping is a thing which happens anytime when there is like a, a new thing coming. There's a lot of startups which need venture capital. Mm-hmm. They have no choice. Mm-hmm. They have no choice. They have to hype. 
And uh, I think what we see now in the quantum landscape is on the one hand, and not and this I'm not I'm not gonna make things black and white, but there are mm-hmm. some who are actually overselling their things because they have no choice. I mean, they have no choice. Of course, they would have a choice, but if they want to survive, they kind of have to oversell because they're under the under the, under the pressure of venture capitalists, which don't want to wait 10 years if that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. because then, then they can't spend the money they earn. Yeah? yeah. And on the other hand, you've got the Googles and the IBMs and uh, the big companies who, pay, who can be patient, who can be patient. They, they, they are not in a rush. And they are actually quite conservative with what they are saying. I know sometimes things from inside companies, who, and they're actually underselling their stuff. And it's kind of, I mean, we are in, the, in continuing, we're in the same situation because our main, our main investors are actually Hollywood and IBM. Mm-hmm. So they completely understand the situation. So, so we, we, we're in the same sort of a fairly safe zone. But of course, there is some overselling, but it's, it's not the same thing is happening in AI. One of what is that's true. Some small companies in AI are doing exactly the same. Uh, so, so that's a fact. Now, what, what do I think? Uh, what I think is, it's, is, is, and this is related to what I said before, it's really important to keep this foundational attitude if we're going to full-on succeed. So, for example, like um, what I'm mainly doing in the space of quantum computing now what I'm mainly doing in the space of quantum computing now, this quantum AI and this quantum natural language processing, came out of very fun- foundational research on my part, which was trying to redo the quantum mechanical formalism from scratch on the basis of, a comp- of, of in a way, on the basis of the acceptance that entanglement is really at the core of quantum theory. Mm-hmm. Something Schrödinger said in the 1935s, and it was never followed up by anybody. And so we build this entire new formalism where like the interaction between systems is like the, the prime actor. And once we had this formalism, the following happened. I was like giving this talk at McGill University and in the audience was like a famous linguist, mathematical linguist, Jim Lombeck. And I was, when I was disca- describing quantum teleportation, he screamed from the room, hey, Bob, this is grammar. Yes, I because know. <laughs> foundational work in linguistics coming up with the mathematical structure of grammatical correctness. And he saw that these were exactly the same structures. And from that, we, we extracted quantum natural language processing. And just the idea that we already have been doing quantum natural language processing two years ago is shocking. And it means people can say, okay, we don't have many algorithms, but there we had an algorithm. We have new algorithms now. New algorithms are coming out, but not in the expected field. So it's really important to go really deep, not just in the foundations of quantum, in the foundations of other fields, and how we can relate these things. And by and I mean, so so my team we're exploiting uh, quantum AI by this sort of methodology, and we're going really fast. So I have full confidence in what I'm doing myself, especially. And then on the, then there are the chemists, then there are the chemists which are making yes. great promise in, in possibility of simulation, which is an old idea. And I mean, I mean. If either of these two, if either of these two, so I'm excluding Shore, I'm excluding all the rest, if either of these two comes true, which I think, especially for the chemist, is very very much to be expected, and I believe that in what we are doing too as well, this is enough to revolutionize the world. Either of the two. Agreed. Either of the 100%. two. 100%. You don't need to think about self-factoring. You don't need to think about all the other stuff. That would be enough. But... Even if there was a worldwide recession, which I, I don't, I think is going to be overstated right now, 
the fact that the governments are so fixated on shore means the money and the interest and the the jobs are still going to be there to support us through this 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 immaturity one one thing which is completely different from from other sort of financial disasters or winters or stuff like that is that quantum rightfully or not has become geopolitical Mm -hmm. and that is enough reason that's enough reason to be, to be very sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, Huawei is building quantum computers, you know, like Chinese government is building quantum computers, you know. <laughs> I mean, and they're really good at it. Like Zhang Wei Pang there is doing enormous work. It's, it's his optical machines, they're, they're, they're amazing. They're good work. It's really good science. Uh, so it's not going to stop. Right. It's not going to stop. I think we're all on the same page in that regard. Um, now, your book is coming out. Hey, can I just say oh, sure. one thing? Like Please. About that, and and you because you hinted at it like there is the hype but there is also the anti hype and uh, it's noticeable mm-hmm. there have been a few articles in the last month or so by different authors I'm not going to name them because that would just be I mean it's not worth even doing that but the amount of mistakes and and inaccuracies and complete lack of knowledge in there is shocking. It's shocking. And I know in one of them it was said, oh, okay, optical quantum computers would be cru- cute, but they don't exist. When the article came out, I actually was in the possession of a selfie with an optical quantum computer that worked. And it was actually announced yesterday. <laughs> by <Quandella. laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things going on that um, – one end of it, it's hard to know the whole landscape. I, I would think that someone like yourself would be in a better position than most to know a lot of the landscape. For example, um, China's exact, you know, what they're doing and what, how they're doing it is, is still kind of opaque to me. Um, and, and I'm sure most people are, are, are operating with partial information and there's probably only a, a handful of people in the industry, such as yourself, who actually have a really good handle on all the corners and the areas because they have all these networks and, and sources. And also you're working on things like grammars and things that we don't normally associate with quantum. And so what a lot of the naysayers that I'm hearing from, they're, they're focusing on one thing. Well, this, I don't think this is going to work. Okay. Well, that's, that's like saying, you know, I've got to throw out everything in the grocery store. Cause I found a bad, an, a bad apple. Um, I think they're missing the forest for the trees. Uh, I mean, I, I completely agree. So on the one, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I know everything what's going on, but what I know is that I wouldn't, that I didn't expect a few years ago that I would be sitting here, mm. uh, resigned from Oxford University shop and put all my apples in the basket of like quantum AI. This was unexpected. And then the fact that surprises like that can happen is not going to be a unique thing, you know, like yeah. that's going to be, if people start having a different approach to quantum, which is actually which the field has changed enormously. The field has changed enormously. Like before all the focus was like on a, on, 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 on like a worst case scenario algorithmics. So that's what I mean by that is like a, you look at an algorithm and you look at the worst case scenario and then you compare the worst case scenarios classically and, and quantum because that's just how algorithmics mostly works and the complexity theory. Huh? And, and, that's actually, that's become, I mean, it's still relevant, but a lot, of the, a lot of the practical work now is about like empirical performance because it's not that there is a worst case scenario that you can't still do really well. Mm. And so a lot of the focus and the way people have approached the problem has changed a lot. And it's 
much less like this pure complexity theory and much more like empirically driven and practically driven. And we see that things where you would have, from a complexity standpoint, maybe not have much hope, actually are doing quite well and quite promising. So, so the whole perspective is changing. And this is also the result of going practical. So it's really important now to actually work with these machines that exist mm-hmm. to actually better understand these things. It's, it's, it's something, if somebody would have told me this 10 years, I'd say, that's nonsense. But I mean, uh, I, mean uh, I mean, I sort of uh, learned it myself the, that, that this is so important. And um, so, so, yeah, I mean, the field is changing so quickly. There's so much like... Uh, new ideas and drives coming up, but we need yeah. to sort of keep the foundational yeah. mind and, and not just the short-term view. In it. That, that, that's so important. And, and some of the, there's some things are going to be dead ends and there's no way around that, but we, there's course, no way to course, know that. And that doesn't mean you throw it all out. And so um, I, I think that, that some of these, uh, some of the naysayers are, are pointing to, well, you know, this, this isn't going to work and maybe they have a point. Maybe they're right. That thing isn't going to work, but they're they're missing the geopolitical angle, which I think is is the key. Is if when the government budgets are focused on this as a competitive landscape, which they are, definitely are, um, it gives a much longer runway for the science to develop and for smaller companies to find their niche. Uh, it, I don't think the winter's coming soon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of other things. There's like a lot, a lot of smart people now involved in this. People I've known for many for many years who are very sort of are, whose heart is in science and foundational science, and they're now going for this, many of them, they're not doing this for whatever reason, you know, they're really doing because they believe this. Right. And uh, like also companies like IBM and Google don't do this just like for whatever. They know because they're people and they're really good people. They they genuinely believe that this is possible because a company like that is not going to lose their face because of like going full on after something that's bound to fail. Well, and yeah, and yeah, if you look at the the big players that are involved, Honeywell, uh, Microsoft, IBM, Google, I mean, the list is it's pretty much almost everybody, everyone who's not actively um, immolating themselves in the social media side of things. Um, those aren't companies that take bets on on things that typically turn out to be nothing. Um, big data and, and those kinds of things. So th- there's a lot of smart people driving those investments. Um, is there, I, and you've got the book coming out. And and one of the things that, that we've constantly talked about is the need to get more people in, in the boat. And so you've said that there's a lot more opportunities. Is there going to be a supply problem? Because you're involved in the education side. Do we have enough people coming in to if it isn't a winter that to supply the the demand of, of quantum competent people, uh, I mean, I mean, it's clear. I mean, I see this year at the Oxford University with the the number of people who are going to um, a quantum project. It's increasing a lot. It's now starting increasingly to attract all the best people. So I'm I'm not that worried about the supply chain uh, in the short term, in the short term, but in the longer term. Uh, Something needs to happen, and 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 so my new book, which you just mentioned, uh, which which literally yesterday I saw like the first final version, and uh, on Monday is probably going to the to the printer and all that, and then it should be available from December and maybe a little bit earlier for uh, for pre-sale and all that, and that's intended. That's published by Continuum, our company, for a good reason because that's really intended to like uh, broaden the quantum awareness to teenagers, to people without mm-hmm. a math background, to anybody who potentially has a concern in the field but doesn't have the math. 
Now, that said, there is really cutting-edge stuff in there. So before I, 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 publicized, I, I published this book with Alex Kissinger, Picturing Quantum Processes, which, is, which has been quite popular in quantum regime, and it's, it's, it's the same story pretty much, but a little bit more for an advanced audience. And um, there is stuff in the new book for kids which is not in the big book because it didn't exist yet. Right. So, 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 so that's that's the thing now. So, 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 what is this story about? And let let me go back now to the to the Nobel Prize story. Uh, so basically, at some point, we really start to embrace the Schrödinger idea that 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 tanglement and and, and is really the core the core of quantum theory. And then we said, can we all reformulate all of quantum theory in these terms like entanglement and all that, which directly translate in a purely diagrammatic quantum formalism. So we formed that purely diagrammatic quantum formalism. We formed that purely diagrammatic quantum formalism. And uh, the result was something that is effectively accessible for, for teenagers. We, 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 this is what's now being taught at Oxford as the quantum computing course and all that. So, so yeah, I mean, and, and our, our CEO, Ilias Khan, is, Ilias Khan has taken this as a personal project to, to basically spread the word of quantum to the whole world, like inclusivity in, in, in poor countries. We're not going to want to, we're, we're not doing this to make money out of it whatsoever. Awesome. It's really to, to disseminate and be inclusive about like uh, what's going to come, like the, 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 the new technological revolution that's on its way. Because I also think that what is in this book is a new kind of logic. It's a logic which is not about understanding things by what they are made up from, but understanding things by the way they interact with other things. Yes. Understanding things by their environment and the context and how they and, and, and things like that. And I think we as humans should move to such an understanding because for 2000, actually since Aristotle more or less, we've been trying to understand everything by how it is made up. Uh, I mean, we are talking to each other like now, like in, 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 the, in, in the past, people would have tried to understand an animal by chopping it up in pieces, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, we're we're trying to talk to each other, understand each other, but it wouldn't be a good idea if we started to chop each other off in pieces. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> we shouldn't learn. We've much. tried we that. Learn much. We've, we've tried we that. Learn <laughs> and uh, and I, th- I think the world needs a new logic where the old one is like way too old, and quantum will can help us like actually have this new way of reasoning. The, re- the reason I think that in humanities there's so little mathematics is that of course like. A lot of humanity interactions, like sociology, psychology, it's all about context and interactions. It's not about how something is made up. So by for now, most tools are statistics that are being used there because there's no proper mathematics available. And I think quantum pushes us in this direction of like a new logic of, of the world, basically. I mean, I strongly believe that. Yeah, so it's not an isolated thing. Yeah, and I, I I really like the format of the book um, that you're you're about to release because it, it's it's more visual. It's more about people who because a lot of people don't learn by reading deep dense texts. And, and even if you paint a picture with words, that's just not the way a lot of people learn. And so uh, I think that's a it's a novel. It's I, I I don't think it's a it's not a novel approach in that it's not you know it never been done. But I don't think it's been done with quantum. With quantum computing yeah. for the audience. I mean, I mean, in, in this specific the specific formalism itself, like uh, which comes out of category theory, this is really the first book for anything. 
And, 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 and the reason we wrote it, I mean, we could have written this for another subject too, like for linguistics, for example. But the reason we took quantum is like it makes the case more compelling that if you can make teenagers on, or, or anybody without a math background understand quantum mm-hmm. in, through this lens... That it's a bloody good lens, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's one. And, and even for those who aren't just visual learners, it's helpful and there's aha moments to be had of, okay, now I see the interaction. I understand why why they talked about it this way. Um, you know, for when I first started getting into quantum, I, I thought, I said, you know, all these square roots are killing me. Uh, and, you know, why they have all these square roots in here. And then you look at the block sphere and you understand the, by, by normalizing the distance of the of the vector to one, then you get a lot of you know square root of square roots you know of two and things like that in in, in there. So, is there is there an audience that um, you've already you're, you said you're targeting this more to younger people? I think that's critical. Um, we had a guest on not too long ago who's actually teaching a quantum computing class to the high school in uh, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I think that episode actually might come out after yours, uh, but we're starting to see the beginnings of this. Now that's still not a norm. It's, but it's, it's a good trend. We think. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I think Terry Rudolph's book, uh, what is it? Q for quantum is like Terry. Terry is like, uh, the main theory scientist at PsyQuantum is an old friend of mine. He happens to be Schrodinger's grandson as well. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, 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 th- so that's something that he intended to, uh, right, that some that most things are uh, accessible for uh, for teenagers. Now, I think what's what's different with, with ours is that we don't try to simplify Hilbert space quantum mechanics and and sort of take away the difficult words and the different bit, bits of maths. We are going full on. We're going full on, but through a different formalism, an entirely new formalism, and this means that, if, for example, in 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 our book. There are like uh, techniques for quantum compiler optimization. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are heavy words, which we didn't know a few years ago. I mean, that, yeah, we so, weren't so, thinking so, about that a few years ago. That was, yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, so, 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 what? Uh, the reason we actually started to write this book was not because we wanted to write a new book, because I just finished one, so I definitely wasn't particularly eager to write a new book. Uh, but it was in the context of an experiment we were trying to set up. We were trying to convince people that this new language for quantum was really good. Mm-hmm. And so the experiment is now happening. It's in the process of happening. So we're basically teaching, we're teaching teenagers, and that's why I keep on saying teenagers, uh, quantum mechanics through this book. And we're going to give them like a, an exam, an exam. And some of that stuff is pretty cutting edge, like a, like. Quantum, quantum circuit optimization by hand and things like that, yeah. which is really important today for quantum computing. And then we're going to take also Oxford University students who are taking a normal quantum computing course from here in computer science in Oxford from, 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 from my colleagues. And we're going to give them the same exam. Okay. But they knew the traditional formula. They know the traditional formula. The kids do the new one. And we're going to set them up against each other. <laughs> Here's a, an interesting topic that we, we've also debated quite a number of times on, on, on this show. Do you believe that like the younger generation, the one that is kind of quantum born, so to speak, so they, they don't switch from 
classical computing to quantum, they start their kind of career in quantum. Do you think they will have like an advantage or they will be the, the ones that will create that critical mass of kind of advancing the, the, the field? Uh, I think totally. I mean, that, uh, I mean, who said is like, uh, Max Planck said is, uh, Ages ago, like and Max Planck, father, the, the first one who actually came up with the concept of quanta itself, mm. he said, "You don't, you don't, you don't uh, get a new theory out of there by convincing people. That of you, you, you get a new theory out of there when the proponents of the old one are all dead, and you can start teaching the new one." I mean, it, it, it's a, it's true, it's a true. I mean, I experienced this myself when we came up with this formalism. We had so much opposition from mainstream physics and it's really then gradually new generations start to pick it up and start to do it. Yeah. And another, another, and, and so that was one thing which was happening that, So the younger people especially were doing it. Of course, then they had needed to have places where they could do PhDs and stuff like that. But then another new thing happened and these were not new people, but industry got involved in the picture mm. and it's industry who immediately start picking up our stuff. So now all the major companies are all using this and, and even promoting this. Like IBM is pretty big in the promotion of this new formalism of us. They actually are also writing a book using the same language for engineers. So I didn't know there was a relationship between you guys and IBM. So you, you're actually wor working together? Oh, there's, there? many, there's many relationships in a way because they're a major investment <laughs> investor to start. <laughs> so that's a big relation. And uh, I mean, on these experiments, which I, which I mentioned, they sort of, I first was talking with uh, when, when Sebastian Hasinger and, um, and uh, Abe Asfau were still at IBM uh, years ago. That's how we started to talk about doing this experiment effectively. So we were talking with them, then, then they did leave IBM. And not, now, but then we started to work with Siglinde, who um, is in IBM Europe, and she's now helping us out. And uh, last Friday, just, I mean, this is a nice thing. Last Friday, was it last Friday? I think it was last Friday, yeah. So... So IBM had been doing quantum natural language processing actually in two different teams. And they, they weren't even aware of each other. Hmm. So they were sort of following up on our work on quantum natural language processing, two different teams. They didn't know about each other. <laughs> and so I saw first one paper coming out. And then meanwhile, like almost the same day, the day after, the other team contacted me and they said they were writing a blog post, a medium blog on quantum natural language processing because they, they, they contributed to the field by doing generating ba based on our work. And so they then coordinated with us, like, they get, I was giving a quiz talk that day, the day they put out the blog and they put out the paper, so we coordinated with each other, we referred to each other. This, this is re really nice stuff. This is really nice stuff. That It's not competing, you know, in that way. It's, it's kind of uh, helping each other. So this, this kind of begs the, the next obvious question, since you are, like, so heavily involved in, in applications or potential applications of quantum in, in AI. Like, how do you see the this specific field of quantum and AI? How does, how is it doing, right? How, what's the evolution in the past few years? I remember like maybe four or five years ago, even speaking about stuff like quantum and AI or quantum and machine learning would have been considered like more on the wishful thinking side of things. Well, that has dramatically changed these days, right? Uh, I mean, yeah. So, so. There is, I mean, just, I mean, you know very well, like these days people use AI and machine learning as like synonyms, but that's of mm -hmm. course not the case. 
So, 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 so one should also distinguish between, I would say, quantum machine learning and what I call quantum AI. For me, quantum mm-hmm. AI is more broad, much more broad. We actually don't use the word AI to make it clear because AI has become now pretty much machine learning. So, so we have our own term called compositional intelligence because we base all mm-hmm. of that stuff on this sort of diagrammatic compositional theories. So, and, and I mean, we, we also want to understand not just artificial intelligence, but real intelligence as part of our program. I mean, as part of like taking a foundational stance. So, so we're better to start to really understand intelligence is with ourselves or uh, sim- similar uh, forms of intelligence, and they don't have to be artificial. Uh, so, but yeah, so, so, so there are different branches, and, and you're right, like the machine learning initially didn't have a great name, and now people start to think a little bit more promising about it uh, because it helps solve optimization problems and things like that. Of course, nothing is guaranteed here. The speed-ups so far... Uh, We'll, we'll need better machines to be overcome. It's not the same thing as chemistry. It doesn't have the same promise at this point as chemistry, the general machine learning. But, but uh, so, 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 so if the hardware gets cleaner, I'm sure that at some point it will all be useful at some point. Just don't know when. Uh, so well, like AI and data science is, is Cyprian's thing. Is, yeah, yeah, no, I know. We talked before about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what I'm curious about is like, I, and this is me more of the outsider in this. You guys, basically you guys are in that club and I'm, I'm just kind of looking in the window. Um, it is, is machine. I, I don't see machine learning when people talk about, uh, and I'm, I'm babbling here. When people talk about quantum and AI, they're talking about machine learning is what you're saying. And, and I've heard no, that no, too. No, that's what they used to do. Okay. And then there's us. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and that's not anymore. Quantum machine, because, uh, for example, in natural language processing, at this point, I would think it's completely impossible to do something if you follow, on a quantum computer, if you follow the traditional full data-driven machine learning way. Maybe you can do some sort of word similarity experiments and stuff like that, but nothing serious. Definitely not what we have been doing, like some forms of question answering. And the reason we are, the, re- the reason is that to some, that we actually are bringing structure in the picture. This compositional structure, which reduces the lead, the, the reliance on data to, to, to a big extent. I would almost say to an exponential extent. And this is something, this, this is something which is quantum enabled to the extent that doing the same thing on classical hardware would be as expensive as doing chemistry on classical hardware. Okay. So we are really doing, trying to exploit a new form of AI, which is expensive classical, because for, for the reason that the, the sort of structures we use are exponentially expensive on classical hardware, but which come for free on quantum. And then we also know that we're going to have al- algorithmic benefits on top of that. Okay. So that's a different kind of, uh, that's not just machine learning anymore. There are, of co- there are machine learning components to what we do for the simple reason that at the moment there is no such thing as a quantum RAM, where right. you can just dump your data on a quantum computer. It doesn't exist. So you train your circuits. So you use machine learning techniques to get your data into your computer, basically. Ah, that's interesting. So because I can't read a file in for my initial conditions, but maybe I can have an AI help me set those initial conditions as if it was reading from a file. It's actually not the initial conditions. It's the whole process which you train. Okay. You train the evolution. 
That's really, I mean, that's what, that, that's what's called variational quantum circuits. That's, that's the way to get data now. And most people are doing this. The chemists are doing this too. Uh, the quantum machine learning people are doing this too. So the difference with, with some of the quantum machine learning that's happening and us is that the, the circuits there have, have no clear meaning. It's a little bit like a neural network. A neural network just has to be deep enough, but we don't know what the individual neurons mean. So that's a little bit what, what's happening in, in most of quantum machine learning, quite, quite analogous to neural networks. But in our case, these networks, the analog of a neural network, is a completely meaningful thing. It's a structure which reflects, for example, linguistic textual structure. Uh, so, so that's a big difference. So it also makes, it, it also solves, the, well, one of the demands that we want uh, our AIs to be a little bit better understood that we really want to know what's going on inside. So, 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 so what we're doing so, is adding to that, that issue too. So at the end of the day, it's actually, um, if I were to kind of summarize for our listeners, right, trying to port traditional machine learning and AI approaches from classical to quantum is really not working because it's difficult to bring data into like a quantum it, system today. But think if you like, and I think that's what you do, right? We act, you actually created a completely new paradigm, which is, would I dare say a quantum first type of paradigm, which kind of fits naturally into exactly, the paradigms exactly, of exactly. quantum, I, I right? I call this quantum native. So, so and, and that's what mm -hmm. that's quantum what, native, yeah. That, that's, that's what Feynman pointed out in the 80s, if you're going to do chemistry at some point uh, on a computer, because the, compute, the computers weren't so prominent then. So if you're going to study, use computers to study chemicals, you better use a computer that's actually a quantum computer, not a classical computer, because you're going to struggle. Right. Because it's exponentially expensive. And then the same is true for materials. And that's why this is now clearly conceived as the front runner for, for like quantum, really quantum advantage, not in the sense of the, how should I say this, that actually practical quantum advantage. Let's put it like that. Because that, I mean, there's a simple story. I mean, coffee, like coffee, yeah, take coffee. Coffee molecule is uh, scientifically completely understood. Completely understood. We know all the equations, we know everything, but we can't, we can't sort of study the behavior on a computer because it's too complicated. Can't simulate. And you can't simulate it properly. And the same is true for drug discovery and many things like that. Now, if you would be able to execute these equations on a computer, then the process that sometimes takes 10 years because it's just purely trial and drug discovery and all this purely trial and error. If you could then actually use the equations, because we understand chemicals perfectly equationally, we understand them perfectly, but we just, if we can execute these equations and our two chemicals interact on a machine, then maybe 10 years of trial and error is going to be reduced to what, weeks, months, I don't know. Mm. I mean, when the next yeah. pandemic comes and we want a new vaccine, you know, yeah. this is going to be a complete game changer, of course. Yeah, and I, I so oh, go ahead. No, I, I just wanted to say maybe one important step is we also need to look differently at our classical problems, right? Because what I see a lot is people saying, "Yeah, but you know, we have this problem in the classical computing space, and it's very difficult to like imagine how would you gain quantum advantage, and you'll probably never gain quantum advantage if you were not going to kind of uh, let's say." reshape that problem, look at it at a different way, 
uh, approach it from a different angle. Well, and exactly. that's well, exactly. The- and that and that connects up with my initial plea at the beginning of this chat about going foundational about things, mm. because it's not going to happen when you just start or, or there with your nose on this problem and then you try to quantize it. It's not going to happen like that. Well, so it's not going to happen. Yeah, like my understanding- you really need to have a deep understanding of 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 whatever you're working with and of quantum itself. Yeah. I, my understanding of the revolution of ma- machine learning was that it we really broke free when somebody stopped trying to do what everyone else was doing, which was, oh, let's let's try to make the computer think like us and instead let the computer just go go nuts with the data. It, it's the re, it's basically a reapproach. It's a it's a new perspective. I, 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 and, I and Patrick also when we got the proper hardware. Yeah. Remember yeah, yeah, with, I mean, with yeah, the that, that, there was a bit of both. Well, there was a lot of the second. A good conflict. <laughs> like yeah. because, because it goes back, the idea of neural networks goes back to the 1940s even. Uh, yeah. It's, and, 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 and it was conce- considered some sort of marginal thing. Like, uh, I mean, there weren't even computers around <laughs> almost. <laughs> Turing was still doing his thing at the time. Like, <laughs> it, it took us all the way to the 2010s when we got really powerful GPUs. Exactly. So that we could start training the, the, the neural networks that were deep enough, right, to provide meaningful results. So, yeah. so, but, so and now, I mean, of course, so, so usually things go very slow, but you see already now a lot of voices coming up in like uh, AI and, and, and machine learning communities that something new has to happen. Yeah. Because otherwise, there's some people who just think bigger is, uh, bigger is going to just help us. But there's a lot of others which, which say like, we're going to hit a big brick wall at some point. Mm. And uh, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, I like to say a story there from physics, like, um, it, it, I mean, maybe I said it already before, but, uh, here, but I don't know, like, but if you think about uh, epicycles, like episode, the, the, the model for like uh, space, uh, ship navigations in the early Middle Ages was Ptolemy's model. So you put the Earth in the middle and then you had circles and circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. And circles. So they were doing curve fitting. Yeah. They were doing curve fitting with epicycles and uh it was, I mean, they didn't, they didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, we now know that in these epicycles was relativity theory because it was doing data fitting. So Einstein's <laughs> relativity theory was in there. But did the system understand relativity theory? Well, obviously not because nobody, nobody extracted it from it to, to, till Einstein, you know? And it, yeah. and, but Ptolemy's data was better than, than the Newton model or the Kepler model or everything which came after because he had these relativity corrections because it was data fitting. So obviously you're going to do things. It took someone imagining they are free falling at infinite for, with an elevator, right? Yeah. To get that. <laughs> In a patent office. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, but I think that's where we are now. We're we're machine learn machine learning is like the Ptolemy model. So we need some Newton, we need some we need some Kepler, we need some Galilei, we need some Newton, and then then an Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all over at the beginning of another cycle, right? Well, exactly. I mean, but it's a very new science. Yeah, like yeah. computer yeah. science is a very new science. Hard to recognize when you're in that beginning because you keep trying to look at things the old way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, and of course, a lot of surprises happen now because, like you said, with the GPUs, like unexpected things which go beyond our traditional Aristotelian logical deductive reasoning. Right. The thing is clearly yeah. doing things that go beyond deductive reasoning, and it totally surprises us. 
So because we have been so indoctrinated in deductive reasoning. Right. We're coming up on <laughs> we're coming up on 50 minutes. And while I think we could go another 50 minutes easily, is there anything else we should bring up before we start closing down? No, not really for me. I mean, I mean, I mean, I keep on repeating my message. Like people, people stay foundational. Like uh, it's, 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 it's important. Just, just don't do the short term thing. Like think the it's important. Yeah. Don't be narrow. <laughs> that's, that's my main. That's my main. I think I think it's a great message. It's 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 such a simple statement, but it's so foundational. <laughs> Well, Bob, I, I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We really, we always learn a lot from talking to you. I hope you don't <laughs> mind coming back and uh, and thanks for sharing everything with us. And, and we look forward to your book and and we'll be uh, putting a link up on the the site. I think the this episode may come out before the pre sale, but if not, we'll make sure we get it up on the site. Oh, yeah, not the link that you just got. No, I understand. No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait for your link. But but I'm, I'm yeah, looking yeah. forward to recommending it and gifting it to a bunch of people who um, who want to understand this better. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thanks for your time. We good Thank to see you. you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Cheers.